Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the Eastside Parish Pastor. Welcome to the Trinity Podcast. Really glad you could be with us today. I'm going to read from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, and then I'll pray and share some reflections on this passage. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's Portico utterly astonished. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of this story that is such a joyful, exciting, hopeful, powerful story. It reminds us, Lord, of um, that from the beginning of this church, Lord, you've been moving on the earth in powerful ways through your people. And we, um, we may not feel very powerful right now, in fact, a lot of us feel just kind of isolated. And so I ask that as we think about this story, what would happen is you would increase our faith and you would open our eyes wide with um, belief and opportunity to see the world as a place in which you are still ruling and reigning and moving in power. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. So... I, um, I love this story. It's one of the very first stories from the church. In fact, Acts chapter 2 is, is the chapter of the Bible that chronicles what's been called the birth of the church. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Peter preaches this incredible sermon, and 5,000 people come to believe in Jesus in a single day, and the church is born in some huge dramatic way. Um, and then chapter 3, you know, we, we start out, and here we are again with John and Peter, some of the inner circle, the inner, inner circle of Jesus, his closest friends and followers, and they are going to the temple to pray, which is really interesting to me because they were going there because that's where they were supposed to go. That's where the Jewish people would go at three o'clock. They'd go to the temple to pray because they practiced an ancient practice that is called keeping the hours. They had fixed and marked time throughout the day where they would pause and stop whatever they were doing, and they would they would turn their attention they would turn their affections to God to remember whose world they were working in and living in. It was a, it was a practice that the church picked up and adopted immediately because the early church was Jewish. And to this day, it guides the lives of many Christians. It governs and guides the monastic schedule for those who live in monasteries. And even those who don't, who work normal jobs and, uh, as computer engineers and so on, like they, they can practice the hours. And in fact, even... Like I've even tried to work it into my life some and just have a couple of times a day where my phone goes off and reminds me, um, now would be a good time for you to put down your work and to remember whose world you're living in, um, remember whose you, 
whose you are, who you belong to. So anyway, the, the thing that's interesting to me about that is that if Peter and John ever had an excuse to give up a rhythm, a practice, a ritual, it probably was now. I mean, uh, 40 days before um, Jesus had been risen from the dead, and then, uh, or I guess 50 days, and then he had been uh, ascended, he had ascended, and then the Holy Spirit came, that was Acts chapter 2, and now they're thrust immediately to the center of this massive, wild, radical movement inside Judaism. They are celebrities in, in one regard, they're also enemies in another regard. Now, finding themselves in the crosshairs of the same conservative religious rulers who had leveraged all their influence on Pilate to get uh, John and Peter's rabbi, Jesus, crucified. And so here, here they are um, with all the reasons in the world to sleep in or to have a staff meeting or to do something else, to take the afternoon and answer some emails. And instead, what they do is they go and they do the thing that they've done their whole life. They keep their rhythm. We've been talking a lot as a church in this season about the rhythms that we're keeping. And a lot of us lost all our rhythms in March. We lost these things and, and we hadn't, many of us haven't recovered these things And John and Peter are just um, a reminder to you and me that even when things are hard, we need to stick with what we what we have done. That part of part of being Christians, part of being people of resurrection, is adopting the grit that goes with just continuing to move forward and do what you know you ought uh, to do. So one of the ways that we're trying to do that here at a church is what we're calling a Sunday rhythm. It's just the practice that involves finding some people to do church with and. And maybe it's people from your neighborhood group, or it's people that you uh, live nearby, uh, or it's just some friends that you have from church, or it's just a, a, a rhythm where we are choosing to get with some people every week and worship and hear some teaching and practice the things that we used to do, but that have become really hard recently. Um, John and Peter, even when things were hard and crazy and chaotic, they kept a rhythm. And to me, that's, um, that's kind of inspiring. So then they go to the temple, and while they're there, they have this this encounter with a man who was laying at the gate and just collecting, begging for begging for alms. And it's this really great and intense moment where they look at him and they say, "Look at us!" And he's like, he gets excited. He's like, oh, "I'm about to get some money. This will be great." And instead, Peter says, "I have no money to give you," which I imagine for a moment at least his head probably drooped. He probably got a little disappointed. But what Peter says is, "I have nothing to give you, but." Um, but I do have something to say to you. Or maybe another way to say it is, I have nothing to give you that is in myself, but I can give you what's been given to me. I can give you a thing that is it is not about my power or my authority, but it is something that has been entrusted to me that can now pass through me to you. Um, Peter was able, and John was able, to do incredible things in miraculous things even in their life because they had made themselves channels through whom Jesus could continue his work on the earth. So because that they had received these things from Jesus and in their devotional practices, in their life with God, because they had received these things from Jesus and were uh, attentive to and in touch with the Holy Spirit, they now had a capacity and authority and a power to do things that they could not do um, otherwise. The principle of Christianity is always that we are never more ourselves than when we are conduits of God's life. And that's not necessarily intuitive. You might think that you're never more yourself than when you are uh, functioning out of what is 
out, out, of, out of who you are, whatever that even means exactly. But we spend a lot of time and energy today uh, focusing on personality and trying to figure out who we are and when we are our most true self. But the Bible says, actually, you are never more yourself than when God's life is moving through you towards others. And that's because the story around the origin of man is a story where God shapes a, a person out of clay out of dust, out of dirt, and breathes his breath, His the Hebrew word is ruach, it's the same word for spirit and breath and wind, he breathes his divine breath into a human being, and that is what makes you a human. It's, it's, it's that you have God's breath animating and filling you. That's what a human is, a creative thing that is meant to look like our divine parent with God's breath in our lungs animating us. Um, so I have a son, I have two sons, but my younger son is named Asher, he's five. And Asher is a head spinning activator. What I mean is that he's just always going, always making stuff happen. If he feels any resistance, he finds a way over it and around it. It's dizzying and exhausting and wonderful uh, to, to be his dad. Um, and Asher loves doing grown-up things. He loves to, to help with grown-up stuff. He loves to help me do stuff that is way over his head, that's too heavy for him, that's too hot for him, that's too dangerous for him. He just wants to do all the grown-up stuff. And I love watching him take little risks and try new things. And I don't always create the space for him to help because sometimes, um, honestly, it would be dangerous for him to help. Um, you know, he doesn't he doesn't get to help with the chainsaw. But sometimes... Um, I, I don't give him space because I'm just in a hurry. You know, I'm too busy. and I feel like uh, he's going to slow me down. But when I'm in my right head, uh, when I'm thinking like my father about my son, um, I, I'm able to slow down enough and see him in his earnest little heart and, and invite him into what I'm doing. I'm always in those moments doing most of the work. I'm lifting the lion's share of the weight, always. But he's a part of it. And as he, um, as he does his small little part, his confidence grows. And after we're done, he'll wipe you know, his brow with the back of his hand or give me a high five and, and say, we did it, right, Dad? And, and what's so cool about it is there's just a sublime confidence that's in him. Like I'm watching him believe. I'm watching his faith expand. Not that he's like has supernatural strength, but that he actually, with my help, can do some stuff. Um, there is something about this story with Peter and John that I love. They've seen Jesus do this sort of thing so many times, and they t- they trust Jesus the way that children trust um, a good parent. They trust him, that he wasn't blowing smoke when he said, if you ask for anything in my name, you will do it and receive the Holy Spirit, that he was actually giving to them the same authority and power that he himself had. And because they've watched him do this so many times and because they trusted him and because they had the confidence of children in this moment, they recognize that this is not ultimately about them, but they, um, they've been given something and now they get to help. As John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, loved to say, everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play because God has entrusted to us his Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John's confidence in that moment comes from this reality that they're really only channels. And the way that a channel works, of course, is that if it's clogged, um, it's not flowing. It doesn't work. Um, As channels, you and I can become clogged. We can become clogged to the work of God through us to the people around us. It's just that easy. Um, But it's also possible 
it's also possible to become channels who are clear, through whom God's energy and life and love can flow. And when that happens, we see finally in conclusion that their childlike trust, their childlike faith produces childlike faith in this man. And I love the imagery so much. It's so vivid. He, he jumps up. He begins to dance and sing. He's leaping as they go into the temple. Later on, the crowd is gathering around them, and it says that he's, he's standing there and he's clinging to John and Peter. There's something so innocent and sweet and childlike about the whole scene. You have these two men who know that in and of themselves, they couldn't do a thing for this person. They didn't even have a dime to give him. They certainly couldn't heal him. But with the power that Jesus had entrusted to them, they were able to do something incredible. And when they did that, um, this man experiences joy. He experiences life. The fruit of our presence in the world can be something like this. As you and I choose to take our Father at his word and to believe that he's given us his spirit so that we can love and live supernaturally, and that it's not always going to mean miraculous things like people being healed. It could just mean like knowing what someone needs to hear and saying it. Or seeing a person who maybe otherwise you would not have seen and moving towards them um, with hope or with love. When we do that, this is what the fruit of our life can be like. This is what the fruit of your and my life can be. Liberation and gratitude and joy. And so... May you, in small ways and in large this week, find, um, find the Spirit's voice within you loud enough and clear enough that you know how to offer that love that's been poured out into you to others. And may you find yourself uh, living as a clear channel of God's life on the earth. Bless you. Grace and peace to you. Um, we hope to see you very soon.